Lord, like we've came to you many times before, we don't know what uh, needs to be said. I don't know what's in the hearts of the individuals here. I don't know what they might have gone through this week or what they might be going through in their lives. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to minister to them. I pray you'd help me step aside and let your Holy Spirit do His work. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well, we're there in uh, Genesis chapter number 17 and 18. I want you to look at verse 10 in Genesis 18. Look at verse 10 in Genesis 18. And the Bible says, And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxen old, shall I have pleasure, and the Lord... And my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore does Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? And I want you to look at verse 14. It's a very interesting phrase that God says in verse 14. He says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. I want to talk to you, or preach to you on this, uh, on this subject, or on this point here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? This uh, phrase is found, you know, a similar phrase is found throughout the Bible. In fact, I want you to just go with me. Keep your finger in, in Genesis 17, because we're going to be coming back to it. But go with me to the book of Jeremiah. Towards the end of the Old Testament, you have those uh, major prophetic books there towards the end of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, you have small book Lamentations, and you have Ezekiel. Look at uh, Jeremiah chapter number 32, and look at verse number 27. Jeremiah 32, 27. Jeremiah 32, 27. The Bible says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything... Too hard for me. So he says, he asks this question, is there anything too hard for me? Now in Jeremiah, the answer is actually back in verse 17. If you look at verse 17, the Bible says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And Louis says, And there is nothing too hard for thee, is what the Bible says. Philippians chapter number 4 and verse 13. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Paul said this. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Go back to Genesis 17. Look at verse 1. When God begins this conversation with Abraham. When God begins this conversation in regards to Isaac. Uh, here in Genesis 17. In verse 1. Notice what God says before he begins talking. He says in Genesis 17.1. And when Abraham was 90 years old and 9. The Lord appeared to Abram. And said unto him. I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. You know, the Bible, God said before, you know, because he started talking to Abraham, he said, uh, I'm going to talk to Abraham about something that's going to seem impossible. I'm going to talk to Abraham about something that's going to seem ridiculous. I'm going to talk to Abraham about, about him and his wife having a son, though they are of old age. And he starts off by saying, hey, Abraham, I just want to remind you, I just want to tell you that I am the Almighty God. You know, sometimes we hear that phrase, Almighty, and we don't really think about what it means. Almighty, he, that means that he's that he's all a l l mighty. He's all powerful. He's he he has all the power. And he says to Abraham when he begins this conversation, he says, "I am the Almighty God." Unfortunately, Abraham and Sarah don't take him seriously. So God has to question them, and he says, "Hey, is there anything too hard for the Lord?" And I'd like to ask you this question: How big is your God? I mean, how big is the God that you believe in? How, how big do you have a God that you would say, Hey, I believe that God, that there's just nothing too hard for God. 
You know, today in Christianity, many people want to make, want to reduce God. Many people want to bring God to the level of man. You know, whenever I hear somebody say uh, something, you know, I, I talk to people about so many all the time. And I'll ask people, do you know for sure if you died today, would you go to heaven? Or would you go to hell? Or maybe you're not sure. And people will say things like this. Oh, I have a relationship with uh, JC. No, they're referring to Jesus Christ. And you know, the Bible refers to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll call him JC. You know, by his initials. As if he's some sort of a rapper or something, you know. And they just have this disrespect towards God. And people, you know, people just have this small view of God. They, they think that God is just like the Santa Claus. They think this God is just, he's not almighty. He's not all powerful. He didn't create the heavens. You know, people talk about God. That's why whenever I hear somebody, you know, we're, we're talking about God. People say, they'll, they'll say this way, oh my God. And I think to myself, man, you know, the Bible says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You know, God says, you know, my name is so holy. He said, I don't want you to take it in vain. He said, I don't want you to just use it flippantly. And people will, you know, somebody will, they'll be working out at the job and they'll maybe hit themselves with a hammer and they'll, they'll say, oh, 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 you know, or they'll hear something. They'll say, oh my God. And they'll just take the name of the Lord in vain. And what I'm saying is, we've been taught in America to just reduce God to our level. You know, I just want to ask you, how big is your God? I mean, is He the God that created the heavens and the earth? Is He the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God? Is He the God that Paul was talking about when he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me? You know, people today, they want to reduce God. People want to reduce God to a little image. They want to reduce God to a little uh, crucifix or a little, you know, a, li- a little symbol. They, they want to reduce God to a little Buddha statue. Or they want to reduce God to, to a little thing that they keep around their neck or that they put, you know, on the rear view mirror of their, of, of their vehicle. And I'm telling you something, that is not God. In fact, let me just show it to you. Go with me to Exodus. Since you're in Genesis, it's not too far from there. Go to Exodus chapter number 20. Look at verse 1. Exodus chapter number 20 and look at verse 1. Because we're talking about, you know, can you bring God to this, to this little uh, image, you know, to where He's just almost like a man. Look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. Exodus is a very uh, famous passage because it's where we find the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus chapter number 20, look at what God says. In verse 1, the Bible says, And God spake these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now look. We're getting into the Ten Commandments, right? In verse 3, we find a commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In verse 4, we find a separate commandment. He says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down, bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of thy fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So God said, He said, Hey, I don't want you to make any graven image. Now here's what people say. Well, He means He doesn't want you to make a graven image of another God. But as long as it's a graven image of like Jesus, then that's okay. But is that what he said though? Look at verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. True. But then there's a period. Next verse begins with a capital letter. This is a new thought. It says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Did he say, don't make a graven image as long as it's of Jesus Christ? Did he say, don't make a graven image as long as it's of God? He just said, I don't want you to make any graven image. He said, I don't want you to make any likeness of anything. Anything. He said, even if it's in heaven. He said, well, Jesus is in heaven. Even if it's in heaven, don't do it. Because what he's trying to say is this. He says, hey, look, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. He said, I'm the God who parted the Red Sea. He said, I'm the 
nothing too hard for God? You know, I, I want a God who's going to do something great. I want a God who's going to do something amazing. You don't have to turn there, but do you remember the story in Second uh, Kings chapter number 2? I'll read it for you. Do you remember when, when, when Elisha... Uh, was with Elijah. Well, let me just read you the verses. 2 Kings chapter number 2 and verse 9. The Bible says, And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. So Elijah, the prophet, says to Elisha, his uh, you know, prophet in training, he says, Hey, before I leave, just ask me, what do you want? And Elisha says, hey, I want a double portion of what you got. He said, I want to do twice as much as you've done. He said, I want to get a double portion of the spirit that you got. And in verse 10, Elijah says this. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, I shall not it shall not be so. So he said, hey, Elisha. He said, you've asked a hard thing. But here's what he said. Nevertheless, you know what Elisha, you know what Elijah was saying to Elisha? Elijah was saying to Elisha, he's saying, Elisha, you're asking for something hard. Elisha, you're asking for something difficult. Elisha, you're asking for something maybe even impossible. I mean, if you understand who Elijah was in the Bible, if you understand all the miracles and all the wonders and all the things that Elijah did in his life, you would think, Elisha, are you crazy? That is a hard thing you're asking for. But here's what he said. I love it. He said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless. You know why he said nevertheless? Because he was saying, hey, we serve a God that can do the impossible. He said, hey, is anything too hard for the Lord? He said, hey, that's, that's hard, but is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, when God wants to do something impossible, He needs an impossible situation to work with. I know that's deep. Let me give it to you again. You might want to write this down. When God wants to do something impossible, He needs an impossible situation. Is that, is that deep or what? I mean, I'm up there with Paul Osteen, bless God. That's, that's deep. I mean, you're not going to get any more Bible than that. But think about what I'm saying. Abraham and Sarai were in an impossible situation. Now, just think about this. Let's say that Abraham and Sarah were 30 years old. Let's say they, get, they got married when they were 20 years old. And they wanted to have children. And Sarah was barren. And let's say she prayed for 10 years. And at her 30th birthday, God gave her a son. I mean, would we look at that and say, praise the Lord? I think we would. You know, I would say, hey, praise God. They've been praying for 10 years. You know, they didn't run down to the IVF doctor. They didn't run down to the, to, 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 you know, they just prayed and they were faithful and say, hey, you know, praise the Lord. But I mean, is that really something that would go down in history as just this amazing feat that God did? Probably not. What if they were 40? What if they were 50? What if they were 60? I mean, that'd be an amazing thing, but would... Is that as amazing as a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman giving birth to a child? You see what I'm saying? See, Abram and Sarai were in an impossible situation. And Abram and Sarai, unfortunately, got tired of waiting. Look at verse 17 in Genesis chapter number 17. Look at verse 17. And we preached an entire sermon on this before, so I'm not going to cover you know, that same ground there. But just look at verse 17. The Bible says, Then Abraham fell upon his face. And laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abram said unto the Lord, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. See, what, God, what Abraham was saying was saying, God, look, I don't need to really talk this out. I'm a hundred years old. She is ninety years old. 
He's saying, I got this 13-year-old son, Ishmael. Why don't you just accept him? He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Now look, if you remember from the sermons we preached, Ishmael was born of Hagar, an Egyptian, out of an adulterous affair. You know, he got married to her, but it was still adultery. And see, the thing is that Abraham and Sarah, they're, they're getting impatient. They're tired of waiting. See, I don't know if you've noticed this as we've been reading through, as we've been going through, uh, through Genesis, but if you remember, in Genesis chapter number 12 is when Abraham got called out of the earth of the Chaldees, and when God initially gave him what we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant. But from Genesis chapter number 12 to Genesis chapter number 18, I don't know if you've noticed it, but there's been multiple times when God has came to Abraham and said, Hey Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham says, Praise the Lord. And then God comes back and says, Abraham, as, as the stars are in heaven and as the sand is upon the earth, that's going to be your, your descendants. And Abraham, I'm sure he's thinking, man, glory to God. And God comes back and says it again, and says it again, and says it again. And eventually Abraham and Sarah get tired of waiting. And they say, God, we, we hear your promise. You keep telling us this is going to happen, but when is it going to happen? And eventually they get tired and they say, you know what, we're just going to take things into our own hands. We're going to have Ishmael and see if God would accept that. Because they keep hearing this from God over and over and over. And even in the passages we read tonight, God was saying it over. He said, hey, I'm going to give you a son. Hey, I'm going to give you a son. Hey, I'm going to give you a son, but no action. But see, often we want the miraculous. See, Abraham wanted the miraculous to happen. Abraham wanted Sarah to have Isaac. And often we want the miraculous, but we're not willing to go through what it makes it miraculous. You understand what I'm saying? Abraham had to wait till he was a ridiculous age to have a son. So that people would say, whoa, that's amazing. That 90-year-old woman just had a baby. That 100-year-old man just had a baby. See, if they were 30, people would have said, praise the Lord. But it's not that, right? You know, it's not that impossible. If they were 40, you would have said, they would have said, hey, praise God. But it's not that impossible. But when they get to 100 years old, see, they want the miraculous, and we want the miraculous, but a lot of times we don't want to go through what it takes to get us to the place where when God does something, it's miraculous. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. In the New Testament... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Look at 2nd Corinthians chapter number 12. Look at verse 8. 2nd Corinthians chapter number 12 and verse 8. Paul is speaking, and Paul says this. He says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Now Paul is talking about a, an infirmity that he has in the flesh, a sickness of some sort that he has. And he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Look at verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. See, Paul wanted to be healed. But when God said to Paul, when Jesus said to Paul, He said, hey, my grace is sufficient for thee. And He, and he said, here's, here's why, Paul. He said, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Jesus Christ was saying to Paul, Paul, I've got to keep you sick. Paul, I've got to keep you down. Paul, I've got to keep you weak. Because here's the thing, Paul. If you're healthy and if you're strong, then when I do something, people might not think it's that great. But Paul, when you're sick, when you're tired, when, when, when you're weak, He said, my strength is made perfect in that weakness. 
restore in the flesh. Paul said, once he understood, hey, if I keep my sickness, then the power of God will rest upon me. He said, hey, most gladly, therefore, will I, te- will I rather glory in my infirmities. He said, hey, I'm going to praise God for that infirmity because that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And you know, Abraham and Sarah, their problem was, they weren't understanding this. The older we get, the more impossible it becomes, the more power that God can, can show and the more power that God can use and the more glory that we can be given to God. See, Abraham and Sarah are thinking, we just want to happen now. We want the miraculous story, but we don't want to wait until it becomes a miraculous story. We just want it now. We just want it when we're 30. We just want it when we're 40. We just want it when we're 50. I don't want to wait until I'm 100. I'm going to go at this milk. But if they would have just waited and they would have just said, Hey, I'm going to wait upon the Lord. Then people would have looked at it and said, and people did look at it and say, It's marvelous in our eyes. See, Paul understood. He said, While I'm in my infirmities, while I am weak, His strength is made perfect in me. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, we, we love to say, I believe in an almighty God. We love to say, I believe in a God that can do the impossible. We love to say, I believe in a God that, that we say, man, is there anything too hard for the Lord? But what we don't like to do is go through the process of becoming weak so that God can do His perfect work. It wasn't fun for Abraham and Sarah to wait till they were 100 years old. That's why they had Ishmael. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, and reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distress, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. You know, let me ask you this, you know, what can God do through us? What can God do through Verity Baptist Church? People, people ask me all the time, and I'll be honest with you, some people are more rude than they need to be, <laughs> but people will say things like this to me, I'll say, do you really think that this little church can make a difference? You know, people, people will look at this map and they'll say, you, you think that this little church can really knock on every door in Sacramento? You think this little church can really uh, hit every one of those doors and, and see thousands of people saved? You know, for the period of the next ten years or however long it takes us? And people say, I mean, your church is meeting in a house. You know, I don't know if you know this, but if you, if you uh, read a book on how to start a church, this is not the way to do it. You know, people, even though the Bible makes multiple references to a church in the house, even though in Romans 16.5, there's a reference to the church that is in thine house. And in 1 Corinthians 16.19, there's a reference to the church that is in thine house. And in Colossians 4.15, there's a reference to the church which is in his house. In uh, Philemon verse 2, it says, to the church in thy house. Even though Jesus Christ, and, and Mark chapter number 2, and verse 12, preached in a house, and people saw it, and they said, man, we never saw it on this fashion. Even though the Bible has an example of having a church in a house, people look at this and they'll say that's a joke literally I'm not, I'm not joking people say people will look at a church like this and say that's a joke you're meaning in a house that's ridiculous that's weak you know this type of church really I mean people I, I and I try not to do it <laughs> just because it's not good for my health I guess but I go down to preachers meetings you know and here I show up pastor he <laughs> And, and, here, and here's the first thing we ask. Oh, what school did you go to? I said, I didn't go to school. And they'll go, mm. Oh, where, where, where are you meeting? In my house. Really? And people think, mm. And they walk away and there's one thing. That guy's a joke. That guy's, that, that, that church is a joke. That, that church, you know, isn't anything. 
But see, you know, I, I was reading my Bible this week, and I, and I, I love this. And you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read. Do you remember the story of when, when Israel was fighting against the Philistines? And you remember when, when uh, Jonathan, you know, the, the Bible says that there was no smith found in the land, and, and they just had a bunch of garden tools, they didn't have any swords. The only people that had swords were King Saul and his son Jonathan. And in 1 Samuel 14, 6, I'll read this verse for you, I love it. The Bible says this, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, because see, all the men were scared. They, I, I want to say that about 600 men. And they were all scared. They were with Saul. They didn't want to go down to the battle. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. And I love, just listen to what Jonathan said. I love this phrase. He says, For there is no restraint to the Lord. What was he saying? He said, Hey, is anything too hard for the Lord? He's saying, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, armor bearer, God can win this battle with, with 600 soldiers, with 6,000 soldiers, or He can win it with you and me. He says, why don't we do this? Let's just go up and fight the battle. And that's what they did. The Bible says that his armor bearer said, alright, let's go. And Jonathan went. The Bible says they ran up a hill. And the Bible says he was on all fours. And he's just running up this hill and just going up this hill. And the Bible says he came down and he won a great victory. Two men. You know why? Because the Lord has no restraint to save by many or few. Do you really think you're going to knock on every door in Sacramento? With your four soul winners? Hey, is the Lord restrained by many or few? Do we, you know, I love what Pastor Anderson, when he preached the vision for soul winning, my favorite part of the sermon was he was talking about, you know, when Jesus sought out for men, he just needed 12. You know, he didn't need a, a big crowd. You know, he didn't need the 3,000 seat auditorium and the 5,000. And hey, praise the Lord for it. If we ever grow that place, praise God. But you know what he was looking for? He was just looking for 12 people. He was just looking for a few people. He was just looking for one man. And Ezekiel said, I sought for a man among you. And God is just looking for a few people who would say, I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to serve. And I'm going to do right. And I'm just going to look at a task and say, hey, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can do the impossible? Do you believe that God, or do, you, or do you think, you know, you've got to have the money, you've got to have the people, you've got to have the resources, you've got to have the contacts. You know, people think this type of preaching, or they think this kind of fundamentalism is a joke. Let me read for you some of my favorite verses in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse 26, the Bible says this, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not... Many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things which are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know, when people look at our church and they say, Your church is meeting in a house, your pastor is short. Uh, he doesn't have any talent. He doesn't know what he's doing. He, he's a foreigner. He doesn't even speak English well. He didn't go to Bible college. He doesn't have any money. Nobody likes him. He has to support. You know what I'm saying? Hey, praise the Lord. Because when we're weak, when we're small, when we're nothing, God says, hey, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You say, well, I don't have anything going for me. Hey, with God, we've got everything going for us. He said, not many noble. Not many... Why? Not many strong, but do you believe it? Here's a trick, Abraham. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you serve the Almighty God? Do you believe that you serve the God that does the impossible? Go back to Genesis chapter number 17. Look at it. When you go back to Genesis 17, let me read a verse for you. Philippians 4.13 says this. 
can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now we know that's true. I can do all things through Christ. But here's a question. Can Christ do all things through me? I know that I can do all things through Christ. But can He do all things through me? See, if you look at Genesis 17.4, look at what God says. He says that, For me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram. Look what God does. He says, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Look at Genesis 17, 15. The Bible says, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. God comes to Abraham and changes his name from Abram to Abraham. God comes to Sarai and changes her name from Sarai, or Sarai, however you want to pronounce it, to Sarah. And many times in the Bible, when God changes the name of an individual, it's, it's, a, it's a picture of their attitude or them as a person changing. See, God could not use Jacob the deceiver. But when God came to Jacob and said, Thou shalt be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince has thou power with God and with men, and has prevailed. He couldn't use Jacob the deceiver, but he could use... Israel. God couldn't use Saul the persecutor. He couldn't use Saul uh, the, the Pharisee. But he could use Paul the great missionary to do wonderful things. And God couldn't use Abram and Sarai because they were not trusting in God. Because they were laughing at God. Because they were trying to say, well, well what about Ishmael? Why don't you use Ishmael? Why don't you use the guy that I brought, you know, that I made forth out of my, uh, out of our own will? And why don't you do this God? And we can't wait till we're 99 and 100 years old. And he had to change who they were. Because here's the thing. I can do all things through Christ. But many times Christ cannot do all things through me. And you're going to have to learn to change who you are. If you're going to put your trust in God. And you're going to say, hey, I'm going to believe in the God who can do the impossible. Because Abraham, Abram couldn't be used, but Abraham could be used. Have you ever noticed in the New Testament as you read your Bible? That in the New Testament you cannot find the name Abram. You only find the name Abraham. And here's what's interesting about it. In the New Testament, when the reference is being made to the Old Testament, when his name was still Abraham, they still was still Abram, they still refer to him as Abraham. Do you see what I'm talking about? In, let me give you an example. In, in Romans chapter number 4, it makes a reference to Abraham pre his, his name change. But it still calls him Abraham. You know why? Because Abram did not go down in history as a great man of faith, but Abraham did. Does that make sense? Abram did not go down in history as this great... You know, when you think of Abraham, what do you think? Faith. You think a man who exercised great faith. But Abram did not go down in history as a man of great faith. Abraham, when God changed him, that's who the man of faith is who we know as Abraham. See, Abram couldn't be used to bring Isaac. But Abraham could. Sarai could not be used to bring forth Isaac, but Sarah could. And sometimes we're just going to have to figure out, if God is going to do the impossible, if God is going to heal your marriage, you say, it's, it's impossible. It, it just cannot happen. Maybe we just got to change who we are. If God is going to reach the city uh, you know, through our church, if God is going to, to help your health and help your finances 
and help whatever issue you might be going through with. Whatever thing you're looking at, you're saying, oh, that's impossible. That's never going to get fixed. I'm never going to be able to deal with that. I'm never going to be able to, to fix that. If God is going to come through for you, maybe you're just going to have to change who you are. And learn to exercise some faith. But not only that, let me just make one more point. We'll be done. Look at Genesis 17, 17. The Bible says, Then Abram fell upon his face, and look what it says, and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? Look at Genesis 18, verse 11. Genesis 18, verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah, look what it says, laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxen old, shall I have pleasure, and my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed I will return unto thee, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not. For she was afraid. And he said, Nay, without this laugh. Now Sarah gets a bad rap for laughing at God. That's a very popular uh, story there where Sarah laughed at God. And a lot of times she gets a bad rap because we don't mention that Abraham also laughed. In, in chapter 17, the Bible says Abraham laughed first in his heart. And then the Bible says Sarah laughed within herself. And God called her out on it, so that's why that became more popular. But you know, Abraham laughed. What was he laughing at? At the fact that God said, I'm going to give you a son. At the words of God is who Abraham was laughing at. And then God, and then God comes back, the next chapter, and talks to him again, and now Sarah laughs. And you know, I just imagine God starting to get fed up, and even calls her, and he says, why is she laughing? And he says, I didn't laugh. He says, you did laugh. You know, almost he's kind of childish, you know. He says, nay, but thou didst laugh. And then he just leaves. You know, but when you think about it, you know, have you ever been laughed at? I'm not, I'm not saying where you're, you know, someone is laughing with you. I'm talking about where someone is laughing at you, and you're not laughing. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Just go back to elementary school, you know, over by the dodgeball wall, and just, I'm sure you don't have many memories of uh, being laughed at. You know, it's not a fun thing. When somebody's laughing at you, they're mocking you. And, and, we, and we shouldn't, and, you know, we let it get under our skin, and we really shouldn't, you know, we should be more mature than that. But it's not fun to have somebody, you know, and God is coming, you know, God, God is like a very serious person. He's coming to Abraham, and he's saying, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. You're 99 years old, and I'm going to perform a miracle. I'm going to give you a son, and your son Isaac is going to be the father, you know, of Israel, who's going to bring forth the 12 tribes of Israel, and my son Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is going to come from you. And while God is saying all this, Abraham is thinking, of, yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Is Sarah going to have a son? She's 90 years old. You know, that's what he's saying is fuck. And God's, you know, I can imagine he's just trying to have this moment. And he's just like, what's wrong? You know, and then he comes back and Sarah does the same thing. And he's just like, why are you laughing? But you know what? You know what's interesting to me is this. Look, 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 at, uh, look, at, look at Genesis 17, 19. Genesis 17, 19. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. Now, who named Isaac Isaac? God did. Right? We just saw it. God said to Abraham, Thou shalt call his name Isaac. Go with me to Genesis chapter number 21. Look at verse 1. Genesis chapter number 21 and verse 1. 
Genesis 21.1. Bible says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the same time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, and Sarah bare to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, look what she says, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. You know, we're told that the name Isaac literally means he laughs or, or laughter. And you know what I think is interesting about this is that Abraham laughs at God, Sarah laughs at God, but who has the last laugh? God. Because at the end, when it comes to pass, he says, you know what, you're laughing at me when I'm telling you I'm going to give you a son, but I am going to give you a son, and you're going to name him Laughter. Because at the end of the day, God always has the last laugh. Say, show me me that somewhere else in the Bible. Go with me to Galatians chapter number 6. We're going to go to Galatians, and we're going to go to Proverbs. The quicker you do it, the faster we get to the cheesecake. So let's do it quickly. Galatians chapter number 6, and look at verse 7. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse 7. I don't know what time it is, because my thing isn't working. So Galatians chapter number 6, and verse 7. Look what the Bible says. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse 7. It says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. See, you know, and with Abraham, it was kind of a nice story at the end. You know, oh, Isaac was born, they named him laughter because everybody was laughing. But you know, the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, God is not mocked. See, we'll, we come to God as Christians, and we'll say, God, I know your word says that I'm supposed to do whatever. But I'm not, not going to do that. And what we're really doing is just laughing at God and saying, you know, I, I know that's what the Bible says, but I, I'm not going to do that. Well, I know the Bible says I'm supposed to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but that's okay. It's just a joke anyway. You know, and God gives us clear commands in the Bible. And we'll say, no, I'm going to do that one, and I'm not going to do that one. And I like that one, but I don't like that one. And I want to do that, but that's too hard. And the thing is, we come to God as if he's some sort of a joke. As if he's somebody we can just laugh at. You know, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Ha, 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 God, very funny. Hey, Sarah, I'm going to give you a son. Ha, 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 God, very funny. But at the end of the day, God always gets his last thought. And God said in Galatians 6, 7, He says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you do whatever you want. You make your choices and you make your decisions. But if, and you laugh all you want. You just laugh it up. But at the end of the day, you're not going to mock God. Go with me to Proverbs chapter number 1. Proverbs chapter number 1. Look at verse 20. If you open your Bible, smack down in the middle, you'll find yourself in the book of Psalms. The very next book is Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter number 1. Look at verse 20. In Proverbs chapter number 1 and verse 20, we find wisdom being personified as a human being. And really we know that this is God because He talks about His Spirit coming down and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all that. But look at Proverbs chapter number 1. Look at verse 20. The Bible says, Wisdom cries without. She uttered her voice in the streets. She cries in the chief places of concourse. In the opening of the gates, in the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners 
Delight in scorning. A scorner is someone who just makes a joke and makes humor of something. And fools hate knowledge. Look at verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel. And would none of my reproof. And look at verse 26. Isn't it very interesting what God says He's going to do? In verse 26, He says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as a desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you. I'm trying to tell you something. Yeah, I'm just trying to give you a warning. You can go ahead and laugh at this book. You can go ahead and laugh at God. You, when God says, I want you to do this, and you say, I'm going to reject that. When God gives you knowledge, you say, I'm going to reject that. When wisdom comes and comes beside you and says, hey, I don't think you should be doing that. Hey, I don't think that's a good thing to do. Hey, I don't think that's something God would want you to do. And you say, oh, that's not a big deal. Oh, that's not a problem. I'm just going to scorn at it. I'm just going to laugh at it. It doesn't matter what God says. Let me tell you something. There's going to come a time when God is going to point and laugh and say, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. Because at the end of the day, you're not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And at the end of the day, Abraham, at the end of the day, Isaac, you know, Sarah, Isaac will be born, and God will be the one left. Because God does always get the last life. I'm just trying to warn you. When the Word of God is opened, when you read your Bible and you find sin in your life, or you find something that you ought to be doing, or something you ought not to be doing, and you decide you're going to make light of it, be not deceived. You're not going to laugh at God. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you, Father.